Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We speak today to Brad Humphrey, CEO of QMX Gold, their TSXV Explorer developer in Canada. Um, been at it some time. Uh, Brad's been there since 2016. 2017 saw a huge interest in the marketplace, but it's fallen away and been quite quiet uh, since then. That was until the beginning of this year when it went from $0.05 cents up to the $0.20 cents that is today, um, pretty much off the back of the gold, gold bull run rather than anything that the company's done. Uh, 80,000 metres of uh, historic drilling plus 35,000 metres of planned drilling for the rest of this year should give them the data they need. Tell us a little bit more about the assets that they have in a quite large land package. Small mill involved, but it's optioned by another player, so not really part of the equation. Uh, we try and work out where the value lies, what the plans are, and how they're going to deliver them this year. So enjoy the podcast. Brad, how are you doing, sir? I'm good. How are you? Not bad. Thanks for joining us. All the way from Toronto. Hold That's up. That's right, yeah. Looks nice today. Looks nice today. Hey, you got itchy feet. Do you want to be back in the field? I do. I do. You know, one of the uh, great things about having a project in Valdor is that I can drive to site. So I have been up twice during the the uh, COVID period, but uh, I'd like to, you know, get out, do some marketing and networking. Great. As well. Okay. Well, we're going to hear all about it today. So that's the good news. But why don't we kick off for people new to the story? One minute overview. What have you got? Sure. So first, thank you for having us on. And thank you to all those who are, you know, taking the time to hear more about the QMX Gold story. Very proud of what we've accomplished in a relatively short time period, we're now building on our success with a number of catalysts in front of us. We have three drill rigs turning now, a fourth soon to be added. We have a strong balance sheet and all of this within the backdrop of a much stronger overall gold market. So we see this as a great time to be doing your homework and uh, you know, taking a hard look at QMX. So what is QMX first? It trades on TSX Venture under the symbol QMX. From a high level, QMX has a dominant land position. It's nearly 200 square kilometers in the heart of the Valdor mining camp on the Abitibi Greenstone Belt, one of the world's best mining jurisdictions. We have several past producing assets and several historical gold showings all across our property. As I mentioned, we've got three rigs now. We're about to add a fourth rig. We're focused on our high-grade river target, the shear zones to the north of Bonifond, uh, a new reconnaissance program called POMAC, and so this should drive a lot of news flow over the next several months. And we also plan to put out our updated Bonifond resource estimate later this month. On top of that, uh, the obvious exploration upside and resource growth potential, we also have a permitted milling and tailings facility, which we pursue custom milling opportunities. It's also important to note that even with more than 35,000 meters of drilling planned in 2020 across various targets, we still are just scratching the surface on this property. And I know I've taken more than the minute, but I also just wanted to highlight that uh, QMX has been fortunate enough to attract the support of a number of strategic shareholders, including Eldorado, O3 Mining, Osisco, Probe, and Eric Sprott. And I believe that's sort of a, a validation of uh, the quality of a property and you know, the strategy that we put in place that I'm sure we'll get into later on uh, since 2017. And our task now is just to continue to put out strong results and get the story out to the market. Okay, well, we are going to get into it now. Okay, um, I'm looking, you've been there since 2016, uh, 2017, extremely strong year. I'm looking at, just looking at the share price, right? It's 2017, beginning of 2018. 
people, you know, really liked the story. Uh, and then it kind of fell away big time, big time. And I think in the current bull run market, you've seen a little bit of an uptick. Um, I want to I want to know from you, do you think people get your story? Do they understand what it is that you're trying to do, what you're trying to be and how you're going to achieve it? Do you think they do? I think that they are starting to. So, you know, QMX has uh, quite a long history. This property package was put in place in 2003, 2004. It had a number of strategies. So it used to be called Lexus Minerals. They went into production uh, with La Carban. Then they tried to build a mine called Snow Lake in Manitoba. Didn't, the market wasn't really there for the financing. They ran into some financial problems. And then 2016, we went through a restructuring and a refocus. Once we got in 2017 and started drilling, the market was very excited. So there was a window that opened up that was uh, favorable for exploration companies. And the first place people go tends to be good jurisdictions. And we benefited from that. And then the market sort of fell away, went through some challenging uh, equity markets, you know, had to continue keeping the, the rigs turning. And, you know, I think through that period, that's when we attracted a lot of the strategic uh, support. And we have a lot of very uh, supportive shareholders that have held on during that whole period. And we've now started to see uh, a better understanding. So we tend to do things very systematic and methodically, which slows things down a little bit. But that is all built up. So all the work from 2017 has built up to what we saw sort of the second half of last year. And that's really where I think the market has started to understand what we're doing and seeing the results. So... You know, we have a resource now, we have high grades, we have a number of other targets that are, you know, starting to percolate to, this, to the surface. And I think that's what the market is starting to understand. Okay, okay. Um, because I'm, I'm looking at this, I'm going, you've done 80,000 meters of drilling since 2017. You're going to do another 35,000 meters of drilling. So drilling, you, you, you like drilling, but what is it that you think you're going to be able to create here. So if, if you don't mind, can we just start with in 2017, because when you, you, you've been there, you were, you were there in 2017, what was it that you decided you're going to do? Because I, I get the drilling component, but drilling for what, to what end, what type of company did you think you set, were setting out to be? So we wanted to uh, unlock the value in this property. It had really been untouched for decades. And there's a, a number of new geologic models that have proven quite successful all around us. And we wanted to apply those to unlock that value in the company. And we started by compiling all the historic data. There is a huge amount of historic data that we use. So we don't just pull holes all over the place with no context around the results. We're very systematic, methodical. Started with Bonifond, started to grow that out, realized it was, this is going to become something. Moved on with the reconnaissance program on another target while continuing to build out that uh, Bonifond uh, uh, deposit. And now we've got sort of three projects. So we've got Bonifond resource expansion, uh, the, the river zone uh, targets moving from reconnaissance to exploration, and we're moving on to what's called Pomac, which may do that same pro process. We have a, a priority list of dozens of targets. And my strategy in 2017, had you asked me that same question, was to eliminate targets as quickly as possible. A problem we ran into is we kept hitting gold, which is you know, not a bad problem, but we're still very high on that priority list. And I think there's a lot of value still to be recognized on this property, which is going to come through 
the exploration drilling and that uh, resource expansion. Do you think people are tired of the story because it's been going for so long? Do you think that's part of the problem here that people have stopped listening? I know you've seen a bit of an uptick, you know, in the last few months because you know, it's gold bull market. The old gold companies are seeing an uptick, but do you think it's because of anything you've done, anything that you've said? I think that starting in uh, call it September, October last year, when we were fighting sort of four and a half, five cents, that's when I think the market started to put together what we're doing. So started to see that you know that resource is growing at at, at Bonafond. The shear zones are higher grade, so we've got a nice uh, core that's low grade and broad widths with high grades to the north and south, which completely changes that, the economics of that type of deposit. And we started putting out the results at the river target, which you know hadn't been drilled in a decade, uh, and you know we're proving our uh, new geologic model there, and they're having great success. So I think that's that's really where the market started to come around to the story and understand what we were doing. And then that's when you also saw Eldorado come in and O3 come in because they also recognized that valuation gap and you know, the true potential at this property hasn't been recognized yet. Okay, but for those guys, that's just option money. At the point they came in, that was just option money. You, you, you were not of any significant size. Lots of money being thrown around by people like Eric Sprott, who's obviously um, part, you know, part of um, the, the the strategic investment. Um, you've got an exploration program. You've got a lot of data already. You've also got this mill and tailings facility. Are you, what are these strategic investors saying to you? Are they trying to get a sense of how quickly you start to you know, monetize some of this or create value? Are you, get, are you having conversations with them about it? Or are they happy with the way that you, you've laid out this plan in front of you? So uh, we're in constant talk. So one of the great things about Valdor is uh, we all get along and we're in constant conversations. And it just so happens that all of our neighbors are shareholders. But uh, we are in constant conversations, sharing ideas and, and thoughts. We are going into an area that had a bunch of historic rules of thumb. You know, you drill in one direction, you only drill to a certain depth. This area is only VMS. This area is gold, which we threw out the window. And that's been uh, proving quite successful, you know, going back through all that. So we share a lot of that information. With Eldorado, we do have like uh, an official technical committee where we do, uh, you know, lean on them for technical expertise, and they do uh, see what we're doing on a regular basis, and we uh, share ideas and they help us out, but they don't have any control over where we drill, but they're very happy with what we're doing. With O3, you know, you'll see the deal we did on the milling facility where they have an option over six years to buy that facility from us. We maintain our throughput rate at cost, so that doesn't change. But so that infrastructure, we have had those discussions with O3 on what to do with that infrastructure uh, with the mill. And, you know, all across the property, uh, the companies are very interested in, you know, this hasn't been touched. So, for example, that eastern side where the eastern zone where Bonifond is and where there's an old historic mine called Bevcon, there's been no real exploration there in three decades. So they're all very interested in what's going on there. And they, you know, like our strategy and like how we approach things by doing the actual going through the historic data first so talk to me about the the, the mill okay because i, I want to kind of park it because the interesting bit is the exploration obviously right so yeah. most people are very excited about having a mill do you think so tell us about the the o3 option here you know are you literally 
dependent on what they decide to do. When does what are the terms? When does this option run out? You know, can you get rid of the option? Do you want to get rid of the option? So it's a, it's quite a unique deal. So um, and I think it's a good example of how to create value in this current market. So we aren't trying to uh, I win, you lose, or you win, I lose. This was a win-win, a true win. Right now, we have access to 650 tons per day at whatever it costs, right? So relatively small mill, uh, but works with the high-grade assets that are that surrounded. There's three historic mines that surround it, all were relatively high-grade, and that was very economic. Now, um, that idea, the idea was, when I was speaking with O3, was they need a place to process uh, their material and specific permits for that. We have that, but we did not want to lose access to that 650 tons per day. Let's say that, so the river zone, for example, high grades, relatively close to surface, a few kilometers away from that mill, we can quickly ramp into that and start production. I didn't want to lose that infrastructure. So we were able to come up with a, uh, an agreement where we maintain what we have right now. O3 has the option to expand or you know use that disturbed area uh, for their purposes while we still maintain that access. So I think that is uh, a great deal, quite creative. And uh, you know it's a six-year term. We can still do custom milling in the meantime. They will buy us out of those custom milling agreements if we have one in place at the time. And at any, any time in the future when we want that 650 tons per day, we have access to that. So that, that from our perspective, is a, is a great deal. The other thing to keep in mind, we're an exploration company. There are costs to having that infrastructure. So we have to monitor the tails. We have to you know, maintain the site. We have to pay the insurance. You know, there's a lot of things involved with that. It sounds you know, spectacular, but you know, until we have a custom milling agreement, it does cost us money. It is great for the future of something like a river target. But right now, this this deal made a lot of sense for us, and I believe made a lot of sense for O3. Okay, so is that why you think, you know, a few months ago when you were at five cents and around 20 million market cap, the market was giving you zero value for the mill? It was more a liability than anything else. And you think you fixed that? To be honest, I think that uh, the market still doesn't give us a lot of value for the mill. I think that... Uh, you know, if you look back at the share at the value, uh, market cap and what we were drilling at the time, you can kind of see what the market thought. So, you know, when we first started drilling Bonifond, 200 meters of uh, a gram and a half to two grams, that's spectacular. But the market wasn't really into that at the time. Uh, so when we started putting out 44 grams over six meters, wow, that is something that they're into. And you can see the, the movements in the share price. We really have a menu. Right. So we have, you know, nice open pit potential with high grades to, the, to either side. There's a trend that's five kilometers long from Bonifon to that Bevcon asset that has multiple opportunities for Bonifon style deposits. So we have that in the menu. Plus, we have these high grade uh, projects in the menu as well. So we really offer uh, a number of things and we could potentially have cash flow. You know, custom milling agreements are challenging. And we don't want it to cost us anything. So it's got to be a cost plus agreement. And, uh, you know, it's difficult. If you're a developer, it's always challenging to raise money as a developer. And uh, we've gone down the path a few times where it made sense and they didn't, uh, they didn't pan out in the end. But no cost to QMX and, 
nothing really changes. It's not our primary focus. It is a, a strategic asset that I would love to have cash flowing, but it's not where we focus our time. Our time is unlocking the value across this 200 square kilometer property right in the middle of Valdor, surrounded by other exploration companies and producers that are putting out great results. And that's where that valuation gap, I believe, is going to close is as we continue to do that. And it's big programs like we have this year, you know, more than 35,000 meters. That's a lot. And uh, we're going to be able to touch on a lot of targets in that and show them the potential. We'll get onto that. With hindsight, would you have done anything differently with regards to your ability to monetize the mill? Could you have got other tolling agreements in there? Could you have, you know, got some revenues in in other ways? I know, I know yeah. when you're an exploration developer, money's tight, you kind of have limited options and you've got to pick the, not necessarily the best of a bad bunch, but you, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's difficult. I do get that. With hindsight, would you have done things differently though? You know, I don't think so. I think that actually had we been able to do the 03 uh, uh, transaction earlier, we would have done that earlier. You know, they do contribute to some of those maintenance costs now and during the option period. So that's very helpful. You know, we pursued opportunities to um, do custom milling where we think thought it made sense. And there haven't been that many. And like I said, it really comes down to the, the juniors being able to raise money uh, to put themselves into production in order to deliver that material to us. So I think that uh, by setting up our agreements right from the start as cost plus, where money goes into escrow, anything being used comes out of that escrow account. There's never any cost to QMX. That really was uh, a good way of doing things, and I wouldn't change that. Um, you know, like I said, I would love to have cash flow coming from it. It's a great business. You know, if you own the mill, but uh, it just they haven't panned out. You know, that they they are very challenging to put together. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let's let's look a little bit forward now. Do you think because the current bull market, you are going to find it a lot easier to raise the capital that you're going to need to deliver your strategy? And therefore, in a way, you can kind of relax a little bit compared to, say, a year ago, uh, where it was a little bit more difficult. So what are you, what are you going to be doing different now? What do those yeah. discussions look like now versus a year ago? So, so that's a great question. And, and it's, it's, uh, it's interesting how much the market changed from 2017 until today. So 2017, we still had some institutional support. You know, and that's my backgrounds in, in uh, equity research. That's where my contacts were. 2018, it became very clear we needed to focus on high net worth, family offices, more retail, because we weren't getting that support from institutions, and we and we did that. And it was a real challenge. We had some uh, very, very supportive shareholders that helped through that whole process, uh, but it was a challenge. You know, you raise a million and a half dollars, you can have 30 sub-agreements. Uh, sub so, you know, unbelievable. Uh, and But now the challenge for us is we've got all the money we need. You know, I go into meetings now and I'm like, don't even try to offer the money. We don't want it. We've got more than enough to get us through the, the nearer-term catalyst that we're talking about. And we want to get through that to get that value into the market. Um, what my focus now is, is to more broadly uh, uh, disseminate the story. So... You know, before where we had to be very sort of focused on people who participated in private placements and that type of uh, uh, marketing, we're now trying to market to a much broader audience. And that's really what the change has been uh, since March to now. The problem, you know, it's a bit of a snag with the 
the COVID restrictions, but uh, you know, there's there are platforms like the one you have that I think are very effective to help us accomplish that goal. They are very effective, Brad. You're right. Um, <laughs> um, let's, let's so let's talk about your program, which is okay. You've got the money you need to drill, but COVID has had a bit of an impact. You you want to be up in Valdor right now. You're not. So what is happening on the ground up there? Because fundamental part of the story that you're trying to tell is all about drilling 35,000 meters um, and doing it, you know, and get, getting that done, you know, against your, the program you set out. You can't do that right now, can you? We can. So Valdor did a great job uh, of, uh, you know, shut, locking things down, uh, closing off the outside cities, Montreal, Toronto, and uh, getting this situation really under control. And they've now basically fully opened up. So we were shut down maybe for a month and a half or two months. And uh, we've been back in, in the field drilling uh, since May. The shutdown in March actually helped us in a, in a way. So we were finished our winter program. We still had a little bit of info we would have liked to have continued to do, which we couldn't do. But because we have all this historic data, so I always think of things in there's high priority, high impact, low priority, high impact. You never get to those low priority, high impact uh, 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 jobs because you're always focused on the high priority, high impact. Well, this forced us to take boxes of material home. All the geos took all this material home and went through a bunch of, of that historic data and found a bunch of additional targets. So we actually, you know, it wasn't great. We would like to have been in drilling, but we actually benefited from that you know, brief shutdown. And now we've been up and running. We've got three rigs, like I said, turning currently. Right now, we're about to add a fourth. And, um, you know, the, the adjustments that were made in the office, we have the old Oro Resources production office. You may remember Oro with Luvacor. Um, that office is huge. And we've got eight people. So the social distancing isn't a problem in the office. In the core shack, we did put up some sheeting just so that you know, we could be logging at multiple stations at the same time. But we haven't really seen uh, much of a negative impact uh, as of right now. I was in Valdor uh, two weeks ago, ate in the first restaurant in five months. So it's, it's a much different situation. Up there. Right. They do look a little strange with your Ontario plates uh, on your car, but uh, other than that. Okay, so you, I'm trying to work out a few things. I'm trying to work out why your share price isn't moving like some of your peers, okay? I don't know if it's because of your systematic approach and, you know, the lack of, till now, promotional attitude. Or are you being held back by some of your, some institutions? Um, I mean, are you still part of the uh, Forbes and Manhattan group? I, no, we're not. So, uh, great question. You know, uh, QMX and its predecessor company, Alexis Minerals, was part of the QMX, or was part of the Forza Manhattan group. Uh, Forza Manhattan actually put the original property package together in 2003, 2004. But Forza's strategy and focus has always been on development and production. And when we went through the restructuring in 2016, you know, we, we refocused as an exploration company. So it really wasn't a high priority for them. They have since divested and we are no longer part of uh, the Forbes and Manhattan group. Okay, so let's talk about some of the other players that you know are are part of this. You know, who are the other the other big players in this that can affect your ability to 
I don't know, you know, do do business so, better. I, I know I know what you're getting at. So, you know, we have actually, you know, gone from in November five cents to twenty. So that not not terrible, but I know what you're saying. Since March, and given the results that we've put out, I mean, we just put out a spectacular uh, uh, set of results. In fact, the challenge for us was deciding which headline to choose of the three holes, and and uh, you know, to watch the share price grind a half a cent and then back, and then a half a cent. It's very painful. But what I think has happened is we traded a lot of stock uh, sub ten cents. So I think that a number of investors are looking and saying, well, you know, I've had a good pass and now we're sort of rotating out of some of that. I think personally, all the work we did since 2017 was to get us to where we are right now. And if you get off the bus here, you're getting off too early. And that's my personal view. But, you know, people do what they do. And, and you know, when they buy the stock, they have the right to sell it. But I do feel, given the way it trades, that some of these great uh, press releases are considered liquidity events that allow them to get off positions. And and I think that, you know, at some point we will get through that. And plus, uh, it's important to note that we do have all this drilling going on, all these assays coming in, and it's going to now create a situation where we're going to have press releases on a very regular basis. And that's really how you can get through some of that uh, additional pressure. Okay. You know, so you- it's just my guess. I mean, I'm not 100% sure, but... That's that's one. Theory. Well, it'd be interesting to understand what these the big overhang moments are because if there's more to come, it's going to hold you back. I mean, talk to me about warrants at the moment because you've got a few warrants outstanding, so that could be a little bit more cash coming through. What's the timing? Yeah, so so they are so far we've had about two hundred thousand dollars worth of warrants come in. Uh, nothing really serious. Uh, they all expire between November twenty twenty and March twenty twenty two. More weighted to the back end of that. But if they all come in, it does raise about eight and a half million dollars. So very material for us, and uh, that would be spectacular. There, all the warrants currently are in the money, and uh, there isn't any kind of acceleration for that. But you know, I think that uh, at some point it will, we'll continue to see those uh, come in. On I think it'll be a trickle as opposed to a big wave at any particular time. Okay, how much cash have you got today? About ten million dollars. Right. And how are you going to spend that? That's what's the, what's the, the breakdown? Been since 2017. This is so great. The, but how do you break that down? How does it get spent? Oh, so we have uh, our burn rate is about 135000 a month. And that includes all the environmental, but does not include the drill programs. So that's our you know annual budget would be based on that. And then the drill, bu- the drill budget uh, takes up the rest of that. So in Valdor, and this is something I should have mentioned at the very beginning. It is one of the cheapest places on the planet to drill. It costs $100 a meter. And if I take that, and that's all in. And if I take that one step further, so I take all the flow-through dollars spent, divide that by the number of meters we have drilled, so that would include truck rentals and anything else that can count as flow-through, it's $135 a meter. There are very few places on the planet where you can do that much drilling. So our 35,000-meter program, you can do that math. It's about a $4 million uh, uh, program uh, uh, in, 2000, in 2020. So we're in great shape. We are going to try and spend more than that. Uh, the whole idea is to do the, get through the targets as quickly as possible, but we are still going to maintain that you know, intelligent approach where we aren't just 
putting holes in all over the place. If you look and uh, at our drilling to date, we've had a very high success ratio. And the reason for that is we take advantage of the available information before we start drilling. Are you buying or selling shares at the moment? Personally? Yeah. I've never sold a share. So there are you know, very few windows when I can actually buy stock. Um, there, in, in Valdor, it's a 12-month drilling season, really. Well, 11-month. There's hunting season, which is October. You know, the first half is with bow, and the second half is with uh, uh, sh- uh, guns. So we don't have any drilling going on in the field. And that creates a window for me usually where we don't have assays or anything else sort of in the pipe when I can feel comfortable buying stock. And you'll see, like last year, September, October, November, I was a buyer. Um, I have never sold uh, a share. Okay. And, uh, you know, I, not a rich man, but I own uh, about three and a half million shares-ish in that range. Okay, fine. And the management as a whole, what are they sitting on? Uh, it's probably about 2%. So our board is relatively new. We've made a bunch of changes to the board. And part of it is, you know, with the transition off of the Forbes Manhattan Group. But uh, they are starting to, a few of them have started to build positions. Our previous chairman had about 8 million shares. Um, and he's still, you know, big supporter. Uh, but you know, I think that we'll see that rise as as time goes by. Okay, everyone's okay. very excited. Okay, so who about, are the big shareholders in the? Who's the top five, for instance? It'd be our strategics. So it'd be the Eldorados, the O3 Mining, Osisco Probe, and Eric Sprott. Right. You know, we have some institutional holders, uh, but not of any real size anymore. And then we've got a number of uh, retail holders or high net worth holders that are getting close to ten percent. Um, you know, they've been very supportive through the, you know, that whole downturn in the in the equity markets. And okay. they still remain very supportive. Okay, tell me about this new board. Um, what have they ever done to create shareholder value? What experience have they got? What's the track record? Yeah, so, I mean, one of the, the recent additions was uh, Bob Bryce, and he was on the board of Integra. So right next door, that was the original entrance into the Valdor camp from El Dorado. Uh, and the rest of the board... You know, is, is there's a focus on governance. Uh, when we were working on environmental um, uh, permitting, we have uh, Sergio Marci, who's got the governmental connections. And as we wanted to branch out more to uh, a broader crowd, uh, retail crowd, we've also added um, some, some, you know, in, an individual that helps out on that, that front as well, um, you know, to help me with the marketing. Okay, um, I mean, from your from your end, the question you're asking, the main one is is Bob Bryce, who was very involved with the Integra, and that that's why you know we brought him on, and he lives in Valdor, which is even better. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I stopped listening when I heard his name because I think that, you know that's that's the name I recognize. Okay. Um. So help me understand what it is you, you're trying to do because I, I've asked you about your strategy, I've asked you about what you're going to do, but I, I'm still trying in my head trying to work out what you like. Okay. You're not mine builders, right? You're not. I mean, QMX was in production up until 2016. So, yeah, but you know it, what? It, tell me, tell me who who on this team wants to go and build a mine with this. I think that we are all more near term. We are all much more focused on unlocking value by exploration and resource expansion. There you go. Now, right. but on that, because of where we're located right next to Valdor with all the infrastructure that's in place, Bonifant is just north of the highway. So if we were to move that, it's a it's an earth-moving exercise for us, we could use 
infrastructure that's already in place just down the highway. So it's mine building in Valdor is different than mine building at the top of the Andes or, uh, you know, in the middle of Africa. It's a lot of the infrastructure already in place and a lot of the skill sets are there. But that's not our near-term plan. So definitely our near-term plan is realizing value, closing the valuation gap with our peers through exploration and uh, resource expansion. Okay, that, that, that's, what I, that's what I'm getting at. Okay, you seem very comfortable at, at that end, exploration, and maybe bring it through to some kind of development type phase. But, but I just want to be clear with people because I need to know what I'm getting into. If I'm going to put money in this right. company, yep. what am I getting into? So thanks for being straight with me. Um, so if, if, that's the, if that's the case, where is the exit point for you? What's the timing on this? Because otherwise you just keep drilling and you keep drilling and you keep drilling. And in this market, maybe it is easy to raise money and maybe that's fine. But, but tell me what your plan is. So I think there, so what's the exit strategy? So, um, you know, there's really two paths. So we go down uh, the path of exploration and proving up ounces to a point where we start to develop something. And then we build uh, value in this in the uh, in the story show what the property the potential of the property is and potentially get acquired so those are the two paths we're focused on that pathway to getting something to a development stage let's say that on bonafond we prove up the north and south shears then we prove there's additional bonafonds along that trend get a meaningful number of ounces there maybe that becomes something that gets monetized and we still have 150 square kilometers of great ground in the heart of the Valdor camp. There's a lot of opportunities for us. Uh, right now, I don't know which one of those we're going to take. Time and, and results will decide that, uh, you know, we'll make that decision at the right time. Right now, we're very much focused on expanding that fauna fund, which is turning out to be much better than we expected when we first went in there, and proving some of these other targets that are on the property. That's why we started doing reconnaissance programs. So I didn't want to get stuck just drilling one target the whole time. I wanted to move on to other. You know, yeah, QMX is it's like a, a company that has four or five exploration properties all in different areas, but they're all just happen to be together, uh, you know, on the same property. They're very different and, uh, uh, you know, different stages. And I think we're going to find a lot more of them. Right. I think then possibly may be part of the problem here, but maybe that's one for another conversation. Can we talk about royalties? So you, you've got royalties on your property. How many different royalties with how many different people? Uh, so this is a historic mining camp. So there are uh, all kinds of different royalties. I think in general, it's about two and a half percent across the property. A big chunk of this property came from ore resources, which was thought bought by tech. And then tech sold that royalty package to a fiscal road. So that is uh, the biggest part of this. But, you know, it, there's, you know, some little claims that have 4 or 5%, which we probably won't drill. And there are other claims. Most of the claims are about 2.5%. So in general, that would be what it is across property. But it's 470 or 80 claims. And uh, some of those claims are individually unique. So okay. It's, uh, okay. In there's, general, no, that. there's nothing prohibitive on there. For instance, does Glen no. does Glencore still own any royalty on this, on any so component Glencore of this? Has a, uh, so Glencore has a 
non-participating interest in Bonafon that as we spend money, they just go down to what will end up being an NPI. So that, that would be the only Glencore uh, interest uh, okay. on the property. Okay. So and, not- and, you know, all of these things we constantly try to renegotiate and, and uh, make more flexible. And, uh, you know, we'll see where that all uh, shapes up. Well, exactly. I think that would be quite a good thing to feed back to the market and sort of show people where it does shake up or shake out. Um, because if there's anything prohibitive there, which stops oh, you yeah, from one of your exit plans, it'd be nice to know, right? Yeah, no, there, there's nothing that I would view as prohibitive. And if there, you know, that one or two claims that does have much higher uh, royalties on, we just won't drill those. You know, we have that luxury because the property's still up. Yeah. Right. You know, it's nothing we're drilling today uh, has anything that I would consider abnormal for a historic mining camp. Okay. Are there any other types of encumbrances on the property to do with tailings or liabilities elsewhere? So there is a environmental liability on the tailings facility. It's about three and a half million something in that neighborhood, or three million, and that will go to O three with the with the option. Okay. So that uh, is. You know, something that is, is there, we maintain the monitoring of all the environmental and, and everything there. Everything's in good standing. In fact, we just upgraded a permit in September last year when we were working with Go West, and uh, everything's in perfect uh, good standing. And uh, But there is a liability. Okay, okay. Thank you. Thank you for that. Look, Brad, I think that's a nice first run through. I was do these first, we've never, we've never met before, we've not spoken before, we've not heard the story before. Um, I want to get to know the management team, what's going on up there, how they're thinking. And I think you've, you've done a good job of that today. So I do appreciate your time um, talking to us. And, you know, when you come on next, come back on next time, it'd be really nice to talk about these different exploration pockets that you've got and how you do kind of bring that together. Uh, but in the meantime, you've got enough money to do the drilling you want. Um, it's a great environment for a gold company. So, you know, good luck to you. Um, and pick up the phone, let us know when there's something to, something, uh, to say. Absolutely, I will. You know, we're very excited. It's the best shape the company's ever been in and we've got a lot in front of us. Beautiful. So thank you very much for your time. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com and of course our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming and we'll speak to you again soon.